welcome to the More to the Story podcast. I am glad you're here. Look, those of you who are church leaders, you are going to hear something today that is going to impact you significantly at this exact moment. So hang on just for a second because you're, you're going to enjoy and really be, find the content today useful. Now, I want you to make sure you know that this podcast is sponsored by Wesley Biblical Seminary, where we are developing trusted leaders for faithful churches. That means that there are churches out there we know are looking for pastors they can trust that are well-equipped that are trained, who are ready to serve, and we love the opportunity we get to pour into students. And so we have a variety of programs from bachelor's, master's, doctorate degrees that are available that help equip people to be ready for church leadership. And secondly, I want to make sure you know about two things that are available from andymillerthe3rd.com. First, I have a free tool that's available to 45-minute teaching that is five steps to deeper teaching and preaching. And it's an eight page PDF document. So if you sign up for my email list, you'll get that for free. Then secondly, I've just introduced something last month that came out. It's this six week study for small groups, Sunday school groups, um, uh, some actually some families are using it in their family devotions, a study of the book of Jude. Now, this might seem like you might even forget that the book of Jude's even there. It's right before Revelation, just 25 verses, but I found it to be incredibly relevant for our time. So I just want to encourage you to go to andymillerthird.com, take a look at this. If you're looking for some curriculum or a study to use for your small group, this will be a great resource. It's called Contender. So I'd love for you to check that out. All right. So today I have the treat to have on somebody I've admired for a long time, a leader who's led in church a church world in a variety of places. One of the strongest churches in the Wesleyan tradition, I think, is 12 Stone Church, which is in Gwinnett County. And we have their executive pastor on with us, Dan Ryland. Dan, we are a fan of yours. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, that's a wonderful welcome. Thank you, Andy. I'm delighted to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Well, we uh, one of the things that's happened is you. I'm really interested to hear about your story. But I I served in Gwinnett County and admired from afar. Well, far I mean distance, not far. While I was serving another church, just the great way that Twelve Stone Church was making an impact for the kingdom in that community. And as Mm. somebody else serving in in a pastoral leadership role, it's like, oh man, they have got it. I felt like I know it, it may not feel this way to you up in the inside knowing all the details but they've got it all they are just rolling and it's it's awesome to see the way you're doing that so could you tell me a little bit just about your story and how you got to uh this position and not just position but the opportunity that god's given you to to serve and use your gifts absolutely absolutely well i'm I'm, uh we may have chatted about this a long time ago but i'm actually a native of southern california born and raised in san diego so it was quite a shock to my system to come from the pacific ocean to the chattahoochee river you know what i mean that's, a, that's <laughs> very quite different a trade. that's a very it's a big trade and either god was in it or i'm not very smart but anyway i'm <laughs> here and uh been at uh, 12 stone for 20 years now as xp wow. and so loving at 12 stone as you know is a is a multi-site church. We're just launching our eighth campus next month. And um, I, I, I think I just have been here 20 years and loving every minute of it. So uh, we're excited about our next-gen ministries and our residency. It's, we have a really cool residency. It's a two-year program for uh, students who are ministry students. And they they uh, join us and we pour into them, train them, develop them as leaders and help them get placed in uh, other churches. It's really cool. And we're in church planting, and obviously the whole big idea, uh, the umbrella for everything is reaching more people for Christ. Yes. But, so that's where we are, and I'm loving it. And uh, oh, I have to tell you, 
uh, since last time we've talked, I have a granddaughter. Okay. Yeah. And my daughter is now pregnant again with twin boys. So, oh my. Yeah. That's a cool thing. Yes. Now, 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 a lot of people might not know, and I said this because a lot of my audience is connected kind of like to Evangelical Wesleyan world. That's not a part of your branding, but you, the 12 Stone is a part of the Wesleyan church. Is that Completely. right? We're 100% a Wesleyan church. And, uh, uh, but we just, it's not in the name, but absolutely. Uh, we're, we're, Kevin and I are ordained Wesleyan el elders. So, yes. Yeah. Yep. And so, and you've served other Wesleyan churches too, uh, for instance, Skyline. Um, and you were there with John Maxwell. Is that right? That's right. I was his executive pastor there in San Diego for a long time. Uh, I joined him right out of, after seminary. Which okay. Was really My claim to fame is with John is that I broke the internship. Okay. <laughs> I, was his, I was his first intern there a million years ago, the early 80s. And uh, he literally said at the end of completion of my one year internship there, he said, we're never doing that again. We're never having another internship. We're never, you know, I, 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 I must have been so bad. I broke the internship. Now there's <laughs> redemption to the story. At that same conversation, he also said, but Dano, I want you to stay on staff with me and let's do this together. And so wow. I jumped in, jumped on board, eventually became his exec, exec pastor. And we've served together. We served together for 20 years. Wow. And uh, we're still very close. We do a lot of projects together. Uh, we hang out together, some vacationing and stuff. So he's just a wonderful, really, really amazing friend. Yeah. So when you came to Atlanta, did you come? I know like he started in joy. And I think I told you, like I, I'm somebody, I went through the old VHS 21 yes. irrefutable laws of leadership. So I got, <laughs> I know a bit of his story in that of like wanting to be in the Atlanta area. Is that how you got to Atlanta or did you it come is. for 12 stone? Yeah, no, actually, you're right. We relocated in 97, uh, some of the closing years of the old Enjoy. Remember the cassette tapes and all? <laughs> yes, the, the young listeners looked that my, up. My dad told me about that. No, 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 yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we, we all came out, 50 of us, 50 families came out. Really? And, and to launch the different companies, you know, like Equip and different things that were part of those early days. And and for those for those years, we traveled the country. We're in many, many churches, training, coaching, writing curriculums. Um, and that's what really birthed a lot of those kits we used to call them in the old days. Uh, I'll tell you where they came from, really, because, you know, John's yeah. such a great leader and motivational teacher that he would get these thousands of pastors fired up. And then they would go home and sit at their desk and go, but I don't know how to do it. Interesting. And that's what birthed all those books and tapes that he's been doing. I think he's on book 96 right now. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Now that includes all the little ones and everything, but that's Charlie Wetzel, you may recall, is his writer. And I think okay. Charlie's on book 84, you know, with him. Wow. Yeah. That is so much that, that they work through. And, and so he's been engaged to like the 12 stone world. Like there's a John Maxwell Center that you guys opened up while I was in Gwinnett too. Is that, is that that's still right. functional? Yeah. It is the Maxwell Leadership Center, right? That's yeah. a, kind of like things like our residency are inside there and equip or the equip offices are there. And so, yeah, it's uh, it was very kind to loan us his name for that uh, leadership development part of us. Interesting. So you've you've had an opportunity and I like I you mentioned to me that there are opportunities to probably come. You could have served probably as a lead pastor at a in a large church yourself, but you've had this unique seat. 
like thinking about the time period where you've served, like being at Skyline, which at the time was one of the larger churches in the country. And now like the, the various phases have gone you know, through the life of the church at a multi-site. And you, you've been a part of a lot of this and you've sat in unique seats. What are some of the things, I mean, I, this is a huge question I know, but what are some <laughs> things that, you, that you've learned from those seats that a lot of us who haven't had that perspective might be able to learn from? You mean the second chair? Is that yeah, what you mean? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and even the changes that have happened in the life of large churches. Well, that that is that is big. There are a couple, couple of directions there. I'll yeah. keep me brief, jump in. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We're going into this. Is, this is great. This is great. But but obviously there have been huge um, changes over over decades of time. Maybe just a couple of quick comments there. Um, I think I think the biggest thing is that ministry has become far more complicated. Okay. Uh, it's it's just more nuanced. Whether it's cultural issues, political issues, we we get it. We know all the things happening. But it's it's uh, you know when I pray for and train and mentor young leaders. Uh, well, I, I pray for them a lot because I think what they're doing is just so much more complicated. And and one of the things we have to know, we, we should understand about leadership is that um, speed and pressure, pace and pressure is everything. So as an organization grows and, and culture around us gets more complex, two things happen. One, that as it gets bigger, it gets faster. That's mm -hmm. just life. And then, and then pressure in, increases. So, uh, uh, speed and pressure. And you know, the, the thing is, we 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 go too fast sometimes. We need to learn how to slow down. Yeah. And then, secondly, there's a great temptation to uh, handle our pressure in unhealthy ways. Yeah, and that gets leaders in trouble. And so, as the organization rises, as pressure rises, it's really important to learn healthy ways to deal with the pressure. Again, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, sure. Those those things are really important as I'm watching things change now and going into the future. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's part of what I was interested why I contacted you is because I, I was intrigued by a blog that you put out last week. And it, it I think it'll resonate with where people are right now. Uh, getting ready to lead. Like and you say it's the title is five ways to know you're ready to lead this fall. Mm -hmm. Now Honestly, when I clicked on it, I'm like, occasionally your blog does this in a great way. It says, like, for instance, if uh, you're trying to train greeters, like you have a great, make sure they're doing these five things that they sure. have, wear clean clothes or I don't know. I can't remember <laughs> what the points are, but they're great. And like, it's like, yeah. I take that, print it off. Let's do this. Um, well, uh, this was a little different because I was almost looking for a checklist that I'd be able to share with people to say, you know, make sure that you are calling your list, make sure you're doing this, but that's not the perspective you take. And, and that's not the perspective you take in leadership in general either. It's not, it's not as much of a perspective of, all right, these are the things you do, rather this is the type of person that you are. So like, t tell me about like what led you to even think about putting this article together and then, then we'll talk about what it, you say. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're right. You're very, you're perceptive. Um, uh, I, I think most leadership is, in, you know, it's in the, it's an inner thing. It's interior. Yes. And so for, for what we do outside that we have to, we have to have, we have to be right inside. I think all leadership development begins with self-awareness. And yeah. so it starts there. It layers into, into character. It layers into habits. It layers into practices. It just layers into all kinds of things. And so that inner world, and I don't mean to be, I'm not a contemplative necessarily, but that inner world is important. 
um, reflection. And so I, I think I think for us to get the outside stuff right, we we typically have to start with the inside. Now there's a there's a marriage between the two, of course. Right, uh, right. I'm not talking about a monastic movement here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but um, so that's often where where I start because I think that's where the trouble when when leaders go off the rails when leaders go off the track it's rarely about um a project they don't know how to do or a program they don't know how to run it usually goes off the rails inside somewhere so we try to we try i try to write to that space often and like you mentioned uh, balancing it with some good lists on do this and do that occasionally too yeah i think that, that they're all helpful things to be able to include it, when, when I imagine somebody's like when they even see the tall title of this podcast and in your blog on this subject, when they approach the fall, there's either excitement or dread. Yes, yes. <laughs> and like part of what you're doing in 12, so you're like trying to help people get ready for that inner life. What is it about this, um, uh, the, the cycle that makes it so hard for us to approach it? You mean the fall or yeah, or, even getting back into fall season, being prepared for like getting our inner selves ready, or even yeah. just pulling ourselves up to do it. Yeah, just whatever it is. I I think I think a lot of it is, um, well, and on the simplest most basis, uh, are you prepared or not? Mm. Uh, no one enjoys coming into a season unprepared, and and so if you're if you're going through the summer and maybe there's some struggles or you're still reflecting on the past that you know the, some of the things we've gone through and you you're uncertain about you're uncertain you're coming into uncertainties um that's what throws a, a lot of leaders off see here's one of the here's one of the things that i think is a big difference you know i i know we've never been able to predict the future <laughs> however there were a lot of things that were predictable and uh, the things that were predictable aren't anymore. Mm. And so that just, that produces a, uh, an anxiety. It produces an uncertainty. It produces question marks. It produces things inside us that make us question ourselves and actually can lower our confidence. Uh, and so all those things that kind of rattle us on the inside, even though we smile good and say the right things on the outside. Uh, and I'm not saying anybody's pretending. I'm just saying we're doing what leaders need to do. Sometimes you you play hurt, you know, you keep yeah, going. Yeah. And um, so those are the things that are on my mind. And I think they're on the minds of a lot of leaders just trying to, you know, and then I'll give one more thing. I think uh, there's a certain stress about, is it going to work? Right, right. <laughs> who's who's going to come? Will this land? How is it, you know, what's the next thing coming? Um, I think those are the things that make us a little anxious. Right. And, and this is true, no matter the size of the church you serve. <laughs> I mean, this oh, is, yeah. this is going to be the case in, in trying to uh, figure out where things are going. Um, this is in, uh, a key moment like that people have, and maybe some are there. Like I, I know some schools have already started around the country and that this is the kind of like time that we have to be able to get some momentum get some yeah. organization in place. Yes. So it's encourage people now, but, but don't neglect the, the inner realities. That's my challenge. So, so you go through five things that yeah. help people think about being inner ready, so to speak for the fall. And this will help them as a, you know, at folks, as they work through it. So the first thing you say is that they need to ha have anticipation over uncertainty. Now you indicate that this, this idea can lead to momentum. How's that? 
Yeah. Uh, well, I love this thought. Thanks for letting us letting us talk about it here. But we were sort of already talking about uncertainties um, that we all are in. I mean, whether it's your 401k or whatever, you know, some friends are we COVID's gone. No, it's not. You know, all yeah, these kind right. of things, you know. Um, but when you deal with uncertainties, it's what we all deal with uncertainties, but it's what wins in your mind. Because there's there's always that battle that leaders play and back and forth. And what wins in your mind, you know, scripture, we know to Romans 12, but is it on the does the uncertainty win or does the anticipation win? Mm. And how you get there really matters. You have to be honest with yourself, but um the 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 action, the actionable thing, the to-do there is, or the to-do question is. Can you actually see the good? Can you see the good in the future? Can you see the vision? Can you see the hope? Can you mm -hmm. see the dream uh, in, in the future and, and help people get there? For yeah. example, uh, Andy, in your, in your role, now you're a positive guy. You're a smart guy. You've got a lot of energy. And in your role, see, can you see that, that with that positive vision-focused anticipation in the near future of what you're trying to accomplish? Because when if the leader can see it, and of course that trickles down, if you can see it, that's the beginning of, if you can anticipate it and see it, that's the beginning of momentum. Let me give you an example here. Um, I mentioned earlier, I think we're, we're launching a new campus in September. Yeah. I can see it. I yeah. absolutely, I can see it. I can see the people coming. Uh, I, I, it's a strong, it's going to be a strong launch. The preparation is the preparation is there, but that the campus pastor he can see it. The people, the the the, the, the those who are going to be going out with us. So see that kind of sense when I say in a real, I mean a real practical way. I can see it. Yes, um, yes. That sense of authentic anticipation leads to momentum. Awesome. Uh, yeah, because you're praying for it, you're looking for it, you're anticipating it, and that's it. Really, is the launch that way. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that. It's just thinking of, of leadership as anticipation. Like that's part of the, is, is creating that, like something's coming and, and a good communicator, hopefully when you're saying something, you're going to kind of piece out something that's coming later. Like you want yes. people to hang in there. You're not going to want to miss this because right. I got some great information for, but there's, you are aware of the future. It's like, it's a vision, but I like the, I like thinking of leadership as anticipation. Yeah. in a prelude as you say to momentum correct and and but there's there's a difference though okay. uh, I mean, you're a very authentic guy but there is a difference between hype and hope Interesting. and people people smell it in a second if you're up there kind of hyping something leaders who don't really believe it leaders don't really anticipate it they have to hype it because mm. they they don't know what else to do. But when you see it, when you anticipate it, when you sense it's coming, you, you can you don't you can't predict the future, but you sense it. Um, you don't. It comes out as hope, not hype. And there's a big difference. Well, I probably am guilty of hyping. Oh. Um, I think I think it's probably. I mean, maybe not right now in this moment, yeah. but uh, maybe because it's like leaning into that un uncertainty. Like I'm not like you said. Is this going to work? I don't know. Right. So I sometimes I feel like I've got to hype it. You know, yeah. I I have a, a cynical side to me, even though I'm a very po positive person. Like I I'll doubt rather something's going to work. And I think like asking those good questions are there. But I've, but I like this idea of trying to have hope. But the hope probably is connected to some reality too 
that you well, know this is going to work. And 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 uh, it's like we we're talking about. You know, are you, have you been preparing? Have you been working on the strategy? Have you got the people? You know, and but but what 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 we know though is it doesn't have to work. But there's a sense of belief whether, you know, obviously there's a, a faith in God, a belief in God, and he's in it with us and he fills the gap. He does what we can't do. Um, that's obviously a big part of the anticipation. Uh, but there's there's part that the leader has to own. It's a part that I have to own that, that, that the campus pastor or the senior pastor or the small group leader, volunteer, the small group leader, volunteer in a home has to anticipate this is going to be good because if yes. she doesn't or he doesn't, you know what? It's not going to be good. Yeah, sure. <laughs> It, it, so if you live in the uncertainty, then that oh I'm not sure is going to be if it's going to work out, well then you're you might not be actually taking the action steps that you need to be able to get to the place of anticipation. That's right. That's right. Now, let's we, one one important thing for those listening in with us is <clears throat> it doesn't mean that's all going to happen without problems. <laughs> you know, when you study the New Testament church, the Book of Acts, the first I'm going through it again and again first nine chapters, it's progress, problem, progress, problem, progress, problem, progress. Problem. That's just the way it goes. So that the anticipation is seeing it and believing it doesn't mean you're not going to have problems, but that's what leaders do. We make progress. We solve problems. We help people. We make progress. We solve problems. We help people. Wow. And that just never stops. Wow. That, that, that's really helpful. You also talk is related the second point is about peace over anxiety. Yep. So this is how I would care. And you talk about real clear practices that people should put in place. What are some of those things that people can do to in increase their peace? Yeah. And Andy, let me say that anxiety is a really big thing today. When we have, yeah. you know, prayer at the altar and stuff, the number one thing by far that people will say, well, you know, how can we pray for you is anxiety. There's just, yeah. it's just you name it, it's, there's anxieties. Yeah, so, And it's a common thing in leaders. Now, I'm not referring in this case to that um, clinical, can't function, debilitating. I'm just talking right. about my non-medical, just pastor here, what I call low-grade anxiousness. Okay. And uh, on a busy day, you don't even notice it. But but a low-grade anxiousness is when, you, when you're quiet and, and alone with, the, with your thoughts. Um, you don't sense a soul level peace. Hmm. And that's pervasive amongst leaders now. Again, not this, I can't function, but just this kind of your guts not quite at peace. And the, the remedy begins to peace. The remedy to peace begins with slowing down hmm. uh, on a, on a, in a regular rhythm to sense God's presence and power. And I don't know about you, but I have to admit it's it's hard for me to slow down. Yeah. And sure. remember what we were talking about before, you know, the pace and the pressure. Well, pace and pressure don't invite you to slow down. They right. don't. Yeah. They invite you to speed up. And I think you have to go slower to go faster. And so if you want to overcome anxiety and gain peace, we've got to have those rhythms in our walk with God, our prayer life, our a Sabbath, our and I'm not the hardcore guy, you know, put your iPhone in a drawer and shut it for four days. I, I, I'm not that at all. But I do think there are healthy rhythms to slow down. Yeah, it's interesting. One thing we require students to do here, particularly in our spiritual formation classes, is, and they think it's absolutely crazy, but we require them to have an hour long quiet time, uh, prayer or in Bible study, not, not a devotional book, 
not all this extra stuff, just like your Bible, the journaling, pray, praying, and resources to help you pray. And wow. it's amazing when we start. Now, some people are like, oh, I'm not coming to WBS now. But I'm telling you, this is the thing we hear from pastors so often is they're not pursuing practices that produce peace. A lot of peas in there. I sound like a preacher. Uh, so <laughs> nevertheless, like this is one of the challenges that can come is like people will, will they'll come in kicking and screaming with that requirement for that particular class. Mm -hmm. But that is the number one thing that people talk about being a benefit, even after like their whole seminary career uh, is working through a time where they had to spend in an hour a day and what what that did so much it, it helped them in so many other areas as well and everybody's busy and they got so often people say oh how are you doing oh i'm busy i'm busy well let's just like hold back this is the world that we're in and particularly church world as we're approaching the fall we need i love what you're saying like in order to go faster we have to slow down mm -hmm. might seem like a contradiction it does, but it's, uh, and even at my age and stage, um, God's given me a lot of energy and a lot of opportunities and stuff. And I, but I'm still working on it. Like, like I'm, you know, my centering, my kind of core centering is every day is exercise and prayer. Yeah. And, and, but I'm always working on it because my schedule like yours is complex and always moving as so I'm always trying to put the right things at the right time. And sometimes I'll try to put exercise out here and well, I need to get out and run, do my run before it gets really hot here in Atlanta. But then, but then my prayer comes after the run and, da, da, and <laughs> God just keeps pushing me and pushing me and pushing me. And I don't think this isn't a legalistic thing. I'm not scripting anybody right. to, to, a, to a thing, but for, for me, he keeps pushing me to say, I want you to have your prayer first. Yeah. And, and so, and then when, when I do it, that I mean, I love praying. I've got a cool prayer room in out of my basement, but sometimes God is moves us even decades in to new levels and new places and all the way to the time plate where he actually wants it in a certain order. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't put that on anybody because right, prayer, right. prayer and you know what I'm saying, but I think what, what I, the point I am saying is uh, always be open to the Holy Spirit's prompting because he might be wanting to nudge you in a different way for a specific reason that's going to be for your benefit. Right. I love yeah. it. So yeah. the third thing you talk about is being connected over being distant. So I imagine, I mean, you, you lead leaders and I imagine you've seen some people who become distant. And mm -hmm. so what is the danger of being distant? Well, Andy, the, the great danger of being distant ultimately is isolation because hmm. uh, it's very easy for us to be around people all the time but distant it's very easy for us to be uh busy and 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 in meetings but because again pace and pressure all that kind of stuff uh cultural things cancel culture all the things that leaders face um it's very easy to pull back out of a self-protection mechanism it's very human it's, it's not bad it's not sin it's just human yeah. And, and so mentally and emotionally, we pull back out of protective kinds of things. And that actually begins to engender isolation when we are actually meant to be in community. Right. Uh, whether they're, you know, your inner core or your mentors or your prayer partners or whatever your community is. Um, but and, and it's not a mystery. It's not a mystical thing. You can you can assess your level of connectedness pretty easily from your experience of things like 
closeness? Are you close to people? Is there intimacy? Meaning, are you? Do you have honest conversations? Or is there trust? Yeah. Uh, is there laughter? Is there productivity? It's not hard to know if you're connected. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's it should be an obvious thing. Like if you're in that place where you're isolating yourself, and, and you're saying like as you approach the fall, if that's where you are it's going to lead to this inner trouble that's going to result in less effectiveness, wouldn't you say? Yeah, less effectiveness. You feel more distant. And and while you might feel safe by feeling more distant, you won't be more effective. And actually, you end up even pulling back to more of a defense. And of course, you can't win the battle in defense. You have to move forward with offense and actually lead. Um, but there's a you know, there's some practical ways to, to think about it, look at it as you think about, you know, am I close? Am I connected? Where, who, who's the, who are my garden friends? Where's my accountability? Whatever word you want to use, who are they? Mm -hmm. And there's another thing you can do. If there's, if there's any place you sense that's broken, like a relationship that you know, or, or uh, not broken, but it, it could use some repair, a relationship you know should be close, uh, that should be high trust, it should be laughter, it should be fun, it should, you know, and it's not, go have that conversation. Mm. Don't, don't go into the fall, go do it this week. Is there a yes. relationship somewhere, maybe on your lead team or in your small group or in your family? Don't, don't make an overwhelming list of things to do. What's the one relationship? I'll bet if you and I were having a cup of coffee, <laughs> Um, to to those who are listening to, with us today, what's the one relationship that needs your attention? Yeah. Sometimes one relation you go have the conversation can be a breakthrough to connectedness with many people because that one is blocking. It's blocking. It, it's creating distance that sort of leaks into your wow. other relationships. Yeah, it can leak into so many areas. Like when you get into that position, and like what is it leaking into? Like you. You, it gets it leaks into the service that you're trying to provide for, for church leaders, you know, trying to implement fall programs, small groups, weeknight activities, Bible studies, whatever it is. Well, then I, I, my guess is that when you allow these uh, distant relationships to not be like, um, like some have some healing in them or connectedness that it exasperates the problem because then you have all of these programs on top of you that aren't going to be able to happen. Correct. Correct. Interesting. The other thing is interesting, and you brought up the kind of physical fitness earlier, but I, I and when I saw this point, I didn't quite see this coming. I was kind. Of, I was interested in what you say. You say you want to be focused and energized over being distracted, and then you connect that to like being in good physical shape. So I'm curious, like a little bit. I like. I wanted to drill down a little bit more on this subject. Yeah, it's, it, it is a big topic. Now, I should say up front, Andy, I use that as one example, the physical realm, okay. as one example of being distracted, meaning, and in a couple of ways, my particular story that I had in that post, we don't yeah. need to, I'm happy to tell, but that was from a, an injury. Right, that, you couldn't run that, anymore, you know, right? Can't run, which is like, for me, that's a major problem or pain, you know, pain is always a distraction. But, but if we if we could look at the physical reality as a point that's important for all of us as something bigger than just one illustration because for other people their distraction might be very different than the physical realm but just for a minute because you brought it up and it's a good it's a good topic um absolutely 
being out of out of shape or poor health or low energy absolutely affects your leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like you, you're it's kind of the same way that your physical energy impacts your ability to engage with your family when you get home from a long day at work. Yeah, you know, yeah. If there's nothing left because you're just out of gas, then you haven't saved energy for the people you love the most. Right. Uh, and and I just believe this so strongly. I don't want to preach it because I don't want to overdo it. But your physical condition sets the level of your vitality to engage your leadership fully. Mm. And so uh, sometimes sometimes for for my buddies and people colleagues, you know, when they're maybe not into the physical exercise and stuff, I just try to encourage. Nobody wants a lecture. And nobody wants to, be, to tell them, don't, don't tell me how to eat. Don't tell me what to do. But when it comes up and someone is kind of not doing well here, I always yeah. try to encourage them. And I'll say something like, you know, if you'll just go for a vigorous walk three or four times a week, yeah, that'll change your life. If you just started there um, or, you know, and I don't tell people how to eat, but there's little things that we all know that if you just practiced one or two to change the diet, the reason I even bring that up is because where you started, your physical vitality actually can increase your levels of productivity, the joy you have in your life, so many things, and you can start simple, go for a walk. Yeah, sure. And this is a part of having a focus and energy. Is like being able to have those places, but the but the corollary to that, kind of the opposite, is being distra- distracted. That's um, right. So, what what are some of the ways that you see church leaders become distracted? Like, uh, what are some of the, the big the, the things that you think are getting in the way when you see this happening in a leader's life? Um, what what are some of those things you see? Well, I, I think I think uh, um, it actually kind of leads us into the last one, yeah. but I think I think. Uh, if we go really big picture, 30,000 feet, they almost get lost and don't know their calling. Mm. Uh, when you don't know your calling and your values, it's hard to determine your passion. When mm. you don't know your passion, it's hard to learn to run in the lanes that you're gifted to run in. And so then you're, you're just, you're just distracted uh, mm. because, you know, what are the priorities? How do I, how do I line things up? And, um, and then I think kind of, all the way down to the bottom of that is kind of your basic daily disciplines. I mean, I, I know for me, but I've got screens everywhere, my phone and my laptop and iPads and things are pinging at me all day long. And that's fun because they're easy and they're easy because I have no responsibility for them. Right. Mm. So we all migrate to what's fun and easy and email and like, I don't have to do any of it, but it's kind of fun and it's easy. I don't have to think I can just answer these things. I feel like I'm productive. Oh man. But those were just distractions. Interesting. Yeah, those were distractions. The real stuff, you know, 80-20 Pareto, uh, the real stuff, pick it and stick it and then do your email and do the fun stuff later. Yeah, interesting. And, and this is connect, like you said, to the last point that we want to be organized over scattered, right? And yep. again, you said, like you said, we need to you know go faster by going slower. But here you say we need to start by stopping. Yes. What do you mean? <laughs> Start by stopping means stop the crazy, you know, <laughs> stop, stop by eliminating the things you don't have to do. Now I'm preaching to myself here, okay. I know, but, but, but stop by, stop by, start by 
eliminating the things you don't have to do and work on the critical things that that your team needs you to do. Mm. That list is not near as big as we think it is. Mm. Uh, and and but then it gets here. Let's go back to interior when we started. It's learning how to say no to the right things at the right time. Um, but a lot of us, I sure, I still do. I have trouble saying no. Mm. And so what's really important, my mentors and coaches, they'll say, Dan, why do you have trouble saying no? And so we'll talk about that. So I would challenge you, if you have trouble saying no, why? Yeah. What are the things that prevent you from saying no? That's a really good question. You want to please people, do this, that, you know, whatever it is, socially acceptance, you know, but what prevents you from saying no? Now, merely saying no isn't the goal. Okay. Because again, that's just defense. Merely saying no, that's not the goal. Saying no is the vehicle by which you learn to say yes to the right things. Amen. That's the real goal is to say yes to the right things, but you can't do everything, even though there's a couple of us knuckleheads out here who try. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can't. And so the art of saying no is about the ability to say yes at the right times. Awesome. It's like trying to find those those things that are most important where our, our time can be given. And that's like, we want your family to be there. But there's certain things. I, I mean, it's, I feel like this lesson, Dan, is something I'm like, never, I'm, I'm always learning. <laughs> Like what, what are those things that I don't have to do? Like, like you said, I can get in and I can email all day long and be productive. I feel like I'm being productive, but did I have to send all of those emails? Right. Right. And, and yeah, cause they're kind of fun and easy. You're helping somebody you're answering a question and it's all good stuff, but is it what you need to do? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's kind of learning, learning to kind of zero in on that. And it's a lifetime job. I know there's a book I read a couple of years ago. Now, I don't remember. It's so good. I don't know if you've read it, Andy. You you love it if you haven't. It's called Essentialism. Okay. Uh, no, I haven't heard of it. Oh, is it so good? You, you got to get it. It's Essentialism by uh, Greg McEwen. Okay. Interesting. It's got a, a, a white cover with a funky little squirrely thing on the front, you know, scrolly. But it's okay. a it's a great book that uh, helps us zero in on what is it that's essential for you to do. There's there's another book I often partner to it or with it when I'm coaching um, leaders, and it's called Deep Work by Cal Newport. Okay, this sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then that's not a snack of a book. That's a that's a weighty book. Um, but the two of them, you'd love it for sure. The two of them paired together. Yeah. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Interesting. It, it, I've generally, when I've done this well, um, I've been thankful for it. Like it's, I can look back and I can see not just achievements, but effectiveness in ministry because I stopped. Um, both of the books that I published came at a time where it's a busy time. I was in the middle of uh, two capital campaigns for each book, but I was able to take some time and say, you know, I do have some really great staff who are handling all these details. I would, it, it'd be easy for me to step in and, and, manage them and make sure I know all these things are happening with contractors and these type of pieces. But I worked hard to get this staff member and they're trained, they're capable, they don't need me. I'm going to work on this product. And it, I remember the first time I really sat down to do that, or it took some time away from the office, I felt so guilty. But then I, I realized things are going well, <laughs> like the pride, the world's still going on. And I'm doing this thing that I'm feel, 
a calling to do that will increase the opportunities like the, the my experience have been to be effective and to serve other people. So I, I, I just have to keep reminding myself of that, that it's okay to, to say no in order to say bigger yeses. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you have a new book coming out too. I do, I do. It came out this last spring. Okay. Oh, it's already yeah. come out. Forgive me for not knowing about it. Tell me, tell oh, us about okay. it. That's okay. Uh, uh, it's, it's a little bit different approach. You know, my last book, Confident Leader, uh, which I've just been uh, pleased with and uh, 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 I think very helpful to a lot of leaders. But uh, this is my first devotional. Okay. Maybe my last. It was a lot more work than I thought. Okay. <laughs> but uh, the title of this devotional is Leadership Alone Isn't Enough. And then the subtitle, 40 Devotions to Strengthen Your Soul. Okay. And um, it was a delight to write a lot of work, but I'm just pleased with what it's doing because in some ways the title is the message, leadership alone. I mean, leadership is important. Yeah. It's, it's critical, but alone is not enough. And our walk with God, the feeling of the Holy Spirit, God's wisdom is just, well, there's 40 different, you know, devotions in there. And um uh, it, it's just something that was on my heart that needed to be written. What's unique about it? Because uh, okay. I don't think the world needs another devotion. Devotional is certainly not by me. I'm no poser. You know, I'm no Max Lucado. Um, yeah. But this, the uniqueness is, it's written to leaders. It's written specifically for leaders. And so there, I did a kind of a hard target search. I found about three okay. ever written to leaders. So I thought, all right, let's go do this. So thanks for letting me tell you about it. Yeah. So um, do you see people using that, the idea is like in a team meeting or just in their own private devotional life? Is uh, both. I, I actually I actually write out, that's a great question. I actually wrote out right after the introduction, um, the, the best methods. And I said, for all of you, you know, highly caffeinated leaders, well, you couldn't imagine doing less than a devotion a day. Well, then do it in 40 days. But go. it's actually designed for like 40 weeks where you just do one a week. And I don't mean do it for seven days. Use other devotional things and other things you want, but maybe hit it a couple, three times a, in, during the week so you can soak on it. Um, and then the third one is, and a lot of people are doing it this way, is they're taking like one leader will take two or three leaders through it and they do one a week. Yeah, uh, they sure. Do, or one group uh, they meet once a month and they do several devotions together. Okay. So all kinds of ways you can use it. I would say, take a look at it, see what's one works for you. Yeah. I, it's interesting. Uh, one of the things I think is a weakness of the leadership genre, so to speak, is that it's, you know, sometimes hard to distinguish it from general self-help, uh, corporate leadership and for good reason there's things we need to learn from the corporate world there's, sure. there's good things we can learn from self-help type of things like motivational talks in general but sometimes it's i find it be kind of theologically light or 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 or, or spiritual formation light like I, I i so i'm glad to see like something kind of entering into this conversation from that perspective yeah that's great yeah. so okay uh, anything else you're working on it's coming down the pike for you? Oh, I mean, I'm always writing the next thing and working on the next thing. But uh, this this book, there's a couple of new options that I'm working on for publishing. Not quite ready for, you know, launching out there. But yeah. I am. Uh, so what's new? What's coming down the pike? Uh, because of this 
succession transition or transition succession. Yeah, I am able to now give a little more time to my coaching and consulting. Yeah, and so I have this young cool guy. I have to I have you know when it comes to tech, I have to have young cool guys design <laughs> websites and do all that stuff. So a new website will be coming out soon to kind of make my uh, blog a little more young and clean and clear and kind of you know to serve more people and there'll be opportunities until the well a few opportunities for uh some more executive coaching and consulting so i'm looking forward to that still very very busy here at 12 stone and i love it here but that's what's coming down for me in the fall oh i love it so we have one of the things i always ask on this podcast is called more this story and what i want to do is go deeper into a particular subject that you know somebody has written on and get beyond just the kind of one or two lines. And we've done that here. But there's also a, a theological reason I, I do it because there's more to the story than just getting your sins forgiven. There's like, there's a process of sanctification that we enter into. And I, I like to emphasize that as a reality that's available for, for Christians. Nevertheless, like I also like to ask this question to everybody. So is there more to the story of Dan Ryland than's typically told? Is there something you like to do or something that would give us a little more clue as to who you are? Oh my, that's a fun, that's a fun thing not often asked. Um, two things come to mind. Okay. All right, real quick. Um, I rarely tell this. I don't know that many oh, people good. know, uh, but I was at, in between my undergraduate work and seminary. I was a private investigator. Really? Yes. And so not a long time, a year or so, but my undergrad work was criminal justice administration. Okay. And so I did every, I studied, I was in the field of everything from police science to probation and parole, pre-law, all kinds of stuff. And I realized none of that works, but I need a job. So I became a private investigator. Okay. And, and, uh, which I should have known from the writing on the wall, all my colleagues were security, you know, part-time jobs in college. They were working security jobs or whatever. And I'm in the church all the time, you know, leading yeah. youth groups or whatever. And uh, so God had a call on my life to, to seminary and, and off I went. But so, yes, that was, um, that was an interesting thing. God really, I, honestly, I'll tell you this. I think that I'd have been a very naive young pastor had God not put me out there and let me see what I saw and live what I lived and do what I did for about a year or so between school and seminary. Um, so there's one thing that not many people know. Okay. Before you go on the second thing, that's yeah. so interesting. So it's it, it, like, I like how you highlight it was a good prelude to ministry because Honestly, I was really thankful that I had a couple of people who spent some time in prison and thanks to the Salvation Army, uh, so I was serving, who told me a little bit of how the world works. Uh, that was, I understand how that goes. But it's also interesting, this before seminary kind of orients you before. Now, tell us where you went to school. I know you went to Asbury Seminary for, for seminary. Where'd you go to undergrad? San Diego State University. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and then I went to uh, uh, Asbury. Yeah. And then I did my demon at Fuller. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so number two, you have number two. This is just fun and light. I have uh, had a love affair with guitars since I was twelve years old. Okay, and I'm not a very good player, truly, but I love it. I have fun with it. I have a 
pretty pretty cool guitar collection so much so that i get so many questions about it we finally had them all photographed and put on my blog site and and uh they're all described well not all of them are there but they're all they're there and uh on the new website there's it'll be a really cool carousel that people can see most people don't care but <laughs> guitar people really care gotcha and they camp there because they just want to check them out so that's my fun i love it and it's sometimes nice with all the work we do to share a little bit of the fun yeah, sure. What, what's the one that people like the most? Maybe not your favorite, but which one do people talk to you about? Which guitar? Oh, that's hard to, you know, you almost have to pick acoustic or electric. Okay, acoustic. Uh, on the let's acoustic, go there. On the acoustic? Yeah, let's go to the yeah. acoustic side. On the acoustic side, let's do that one. I, I'm very blessed. One of my closest longtime friends is Bob Taylor. Okay. And uh, Bob and Cindy and Patty and I have traveled together, and he's obviously the owner founder of Taylor Guitars. So wow. we built three custom tailors. Oh my and, goodness. Well, I didn't build them. He did, you know. So there's some three tailors that are really pretty extraordinary, one of a kinds. Wow. And they're special. And uh how'd you get to know him? Was he in San Diego or or Atlanta? Great question. He was on the board at Skyline. Okay. And a board member there when I was XP. And uh he's just a brilliant, generous smart accomplished businessman that uh wanted to put good wood guitars in young people's hands to learn how to play and now as he's in succession as well um he's doing forestry around the world he's just doing all kinds of new oh, things interesting. just so there will be wood for guitars for our next generation so they can actually have real instruments to play yeah interesting see i'm so glad i asked this question and learned these type of things um, that's great. Dan, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I appreciate the way that you blog and write and help leaders think about who they need to be and how they can lead better. And also for the work that's happened at 12 stone, which is such a model for so many of us who are serving in a church. It means so much to us. Thanks for taking time to come to this podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. And I, I hope it's helpful. Mm -hmm.